Hi, I'm Keith Law, and welcome to episode 44 of The Keith Law Show. My guest today will be Seattle Mariners prospect Adam Mako telling us about his very interesting journey from being born in Slovakia to going to high school in Canada by way of Ireland and eventually making it into professional baseball. Uh, I'm also going to take a few questions today or answer a few questions I've gotten already on my top 100 prospects, which ran on Thursday of last week, and as well as the article of 12 guys who just missed the top 100, which ran the day I'm recording this Monday, February 1st. So I'll address some of the players who've, who I've, uh, about whom I've received the most questions why they didn't appear on either of those lists. So as I said, my ranking of the top 100 prospects in baseball ran uh, just at the tail end of January. It's the 14th year I've produced a top 100, the second year that I've done so for The Athletic. And as happens every year, there are always a few players who certain fans expect maybe to see on the list and then are surprised and often strangely angry that they didn't see on the list. And there are generally very good reasons for this. And there are good reasons why people ask these questions, nearly always players about whom they've heard a lot, either because these players have gotten to the big leagues or because these players were high draft picks or simply because they've been touted by the team as some major part of their futures. I'll also add the disclaimer too that the omission of a player from my top 100 or even from this ranking of the or the list of the players who just missed the top 100 does not mean that these players are not prospects. There are far more than 100 prospects in minor league baseball. Many of these guys are good and will have long and productive major league careers. So simply saying a player is the 120th best prospect in baseball, I don't actually rank them that far, but if I were to do so, that is not tantamount to saying that he stinks. It's simply saying, I think there are other guys who are better in some way, project to more, have more ceiling, maybe have more probability, or some combination of both. One of the players I've been asked about the most and again, I think this is because he was just in the big leagues, is Garrett Crochet, who was a first-round pick last June, and then whom the White Sox brought to the major leagues as a reliever and had him pitch briefly in the playoffs until he got hurt and left a game with forearm tightness. There are a couple of reasons why Crochet did not make my top 100. And I will say, even before he was drafted, I did not have him as a first-round talent. There were far too many questions I was hearing from scouts about him. He started the year hurt. He does not have a great history of throwing strikes, and he really doesn't have great secondary stuff. He, Most scouts I spoke to who saw him at the University of Tennessee thought he would end up in the bullpen in Pro Bowl, and I am still holding to that, even given what we've seen, because as much as Crochet threw very, very hard in the big leagues, he pitched as a reliever. So we certainly have no additional evidence to argue that he could be a starter. It also matters quite a bit to me that Crochet started the season hurt and then ended the season hurt. And Crochet has had some issues with injuries and does not have a delivery that I think particularly, is particularly well suited to durability in a starter's role. I think he could pitch and succeed for a long time as a reliever. But relievers, pr- prospects I project primarily, primarily as relievers don't make my top 100 because it's very, very hard for them to pitch long enough to generate as much value as even a decent fourth starter would. I do think Garrett Crochet is a big leaguer. He could easily spend the whole year in the White Sox pen. And if they say, we're just going to make this guy a reliever going forward, which I actually think is a pretty good strategy, he could probably stay in the majors, never go back to the minors at all. Orioles fans asked why Ryan Mountcastle didn't make the list. And I think some of this was the same thing. He was he was in the majors last year. He hit, I believe, a little over 330, just his batting average. He walked a little bit more than expected. He played 
certainly more than adequate defense in left field. Why didn't he make the list? If you dig down a little bit into Mount Castle's numbers in the majors last season, and everything that happened last season is inherently a small sample, you'll see that there's really no reason to think he's going to continue to hit like that going forward. First of all, he never hit like that in the minors, and that does tell us something. It's a much larger sample. His batted ball quality was not really where you would want it to be if you thought this guy was going to hit, say, 310 or 320 going forward. And his batting average on balls in play was just shy of 400. That is absolutely unsustainable. Nobody sustains that over a career. Very few guys can even sustain that over a 162-game season. So I see Mount Castle very much as I saw him a year ago, a big leaguer for sure. Maybe even a regular, but a guy with a low on-base percentage who's probably not going to hit for enough average and power to overcome the low OBP and the positional limitations of being solely a left fielder. Another name I heard a lot about was Drew Waters, and Atlanta fans should know I didn't have Drew Waters on my list a year ago, and there wasn't really any particular reason to add him to the list now. And, and that applies to lots of players. We just didn't get to see them play last year. And I think it's uh, uh, it is just an inherent problem with making with doing these rankings right now, where most of the guys I'm talking about didn't get to play anywhere. Maybe an alternate site, maybe instructional league, but not real games. And real games is what that's where we get real data from: observational data performance data, and now TrackMan or StatCast-style data. But in the case of Drew Waters, he has some tools. He does play for now, at least in the middle of the field, but I do not believe in the hit tool or in the approach, and I know many, many scouts who agree with that. There are a lot of scouts who just did not care for Waters at all, had a hard time projecting him as anything more than a fourth outfielder. I think he gets to be a little bit more than that. But I do think that the poor approach is going to break down as he continues to move up the ladder and face better and better pitching. And it's going to be on him to make a pretty significant adjustment going forward. I was asked a little bit on Twitter about, oh, there's always questions about Yankees guys. Luis Medina made my just missed list. And I would encourage folks, especially Yankee fans, maybe to check that out. I actually like Luis Medina quite a bit. I have seen him. It's been a couple of years now. But in the last four outings of his 2019 season, and I believe five outings in winter ball this year, uh, abbreviated starts, looked like he might have turned a corner. But I don't want to buy too much into a small sample. I think there's a risk of, of doing that as well, of getting too excited because we see what we want to see. I want to see Luis Medina throw strikes because once he does that, he might be a number two starter. He might even turn out to be more than that. But he has a very, very long history of not throwing strikes and a very short history of throwing a lot of strikes. And I did not want to fall for essentially recency bias, a little bit of confirmation bias, a little bit of just flat out optimism. I would love to see that guy succeed. But I think we've got to see him do quite a bit more. Uh, do that over a longer period of time before I'm going to completely buy into that. The last of these prospects I wanted to mention was uh, Zach Thompson of the St. Louis Cardinals. He was mentioned a few times. I was even asked about him on a radio hit in St. Louis at the end of last week. Again, Zach Thompson's a very good prospect. I think he pitches in the big leagues. In his case, I think he's got a chance to pitch to be pretty good in the big leagues. He's a two-pitch guy now who could probably be a good big league reliever in 2021 if the Cardinals wanted to do that with him. I doubt they will. They tend to try to develop guys as starters as long as they can. And in his case, that's probably a good idea. But between the fact that he's primarily a two-pitch guy and he's had some arm stuff, and a lot of those Kentucky guys, his University of Kentucky product, have had arm stuff, have had arm issues that tended to linger. I'd like to see him get through a full healthy season. He didn't have the opportunity to do that in 2020. Nobody did. If he had done that, if he'd gone out and made 20, 21, 22 starts, 
thrown 100 or so innings in the Cardinals system, even if it was entirely in high A, he probably would have made the list. I can't say for sure, but I would have, I would feel a lot more confident in him if we knew he was healthy and able to hold up. But between the stuff he's had so far, the injuries he's had so far, and the fact that he just didn't get a chance to show that this year, I did not want to make a, an overly optimistic move and push him onto the global top 100. My guest today is Adam Mako. He is a pitcher in the Seattle Mariners system. He was their seventh round pick in 2019 out of Vohal High School in Vohal, Alberta. But that is not where Adam's originally from. And where he's originally from is the reason I have him on the show today. First of all, Adam, thank you so much for joining me. No worries. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about that. I don't want to spoil your big reveal, but tell the listeners where you're actually from and maybe a little about how you first started playing baseball. Right. Well, I'm from Slovakia. Uh, that's in, that's in Europe. Not many people know about that country. Uh, it's usually known as Czechoslovakia. They've, they've separated a while ago. So yeah, I grew up there for about seven years. Baseball is definitely not a big thing. Um, there was about two teams that were around and um, I was one of the schools that actually had the team which I still had no idea what baseball was, but there was a first day of school, grade one, everything's super overwhelming. We get a little tryout. We hit, um, I think it was uh, ball pit balls into a, into a net from a tee. And I just kind of fell in love with that. And I told my parents, I came home and I signed up for baseball and they have, they have no idea what that is obviously. So they're like, what, <laughs> what is that? But um, yes, yeah, so that's how it started. And slowly I started to learn how to, throw and eventually fell in love with that and yeah that's how that's how it started so what was like what sports did all the other kids play is that a soccer area oh uh, yeah slovakia is a huge soccer slash hockey kind of country um that's the only two sports that i really <laughs> knew of um no really nothing no basketball no nothing i always just played soccer with all my friends um, didn't really have the, the money for, for hockey, but I always enjoyed skating around, learning with my dad, how to skate on ponds outside and stuff like that. But yeah, definitely a huge soccer and, and hockey country. And when you played there before, I know you, uh, we'll get in a moment to where you moved next before you ended up in Canada, but when you played right. in Slovakia, I assume the team was kind of small. So did you do a little everything? Did you hit, you played positions and also pitch Were coaches still pitching? What was that baseball like there? I, I believe when I started, it was mostly just T-ball. So okay. I was playing T-ball for You're just hitting off a tee. I was in grade one, so we oh, yeah. couldn't even throw throw to each other very. So yep. um, did that. It was it was a lot. It was a steep learning curve at first. <laughs> There's videos of me just biting my glove when I'm at shortstop as a lefty <laughs> and wa- watching the ball go right between my legs and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so it was mostly T-ball then. Um, I remember we went to Austria and that is when I first pitched. Mm-hmm. Um, I had no idea how to pitch before. I don't think I ever had a bullpen or anything like that before, but they just threw me in games. Like, you want to try? I'm like, sure. In the middle <laughs> of the game, they swapped me out, started pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of, um, a lot of donuts I was throwing at that point, but <laughs> got a little bit better. And where did you first learn? Did anyone tell you how to like grip different pitches? I assume at that point it was just, Hey, just go. Oh Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, the seams on the ball had no relation to how I held the ball. <laughs> rip and rip. Yeah, no. It was it was mostly off of 
and stuff like that that I learned any like change up or two seams or anything like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And I know. So at what point did you then move out of Slovakia to your next stop? Which again, I won't spoil. You can tell that part of the story. Okay. Yeah. Um, in halfway through grade five, I believe grade five, uh, I got pulled out of school and we moved to Ireland. And the reason for that was because my parents' dream has always been to move to Canada, mm-hmm. but um, they didn't want to wait much longer in Slovakia. They were really excited to for the move and to try out new things in new country and stuff like that. So we moved to Ireland um, to learn a little bit of English, um, to see the country. Obviously, it's very beautiful. That was another stop. My brother actually went there before us. He said it's amazing. So we definitely wanted to try that out. And yeah, from Ireland, we were there for about about a year. And you played while you were there, right? You got hooked up with one of their local teams? Yes, it was actually the the uh, Greystone Mariners. Yeah. So. A bit of foreshadowing. Yes, a little bit of foreshadowing. But we were, yeah, I was there basically from the start. That was a huge part also why we moved to Ireland was because the baseball was a lot better there. And mm-hmm. my parents wanted me to get a little bit of experience before moving to Canada. Yeah, I feel like they're not, it's not that well known because we haven't had prospects come out of Ireland, but there is a little baseball culture there. And that Greystone club has a good reputation, at least as one of the better youth programs. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're a great team and they still are. And a lot of the coaches there um, are either from uh, the United States or Canada that just came back and are coaching. And obviously a lot of them are from Ireland, but there's a big baseball culture. There's lots of teams, lots of adult leagues. It's great. Did you get more instruction there than you were able to get in? So obviously in Slovakia, it was mostly through school, but in Ireland, it sounds like it was the first time you really played on a, like a, what we would call a travel team or club team. Was the level of instruction, is that where you sort of got to be, hey, I got to try some different things or learn, especially since you're a pitcher now, learn a little bit more about how to grip different things or the craft of becoming a pitcher? Yes, I definitely learned a lot of things from the coaches around there. Um, They taught me kind of the ins and outs of the game more. Also, how just the game worked with where the shortstop goes on a backup or whatever, just all kind of how everybody moves when the ball is hit. It's not just whoever it's hit to. And so a lot of that I've learned, a lot of the ins and outs and the grips and change-ups, and I've learned that throwing a curveball is probably not a good thing for me at that point. <laughs> um, so some some two-seams, some change-ups, stuff like that, but yeah, I've, I've definitely, it's been a very steep learning curve for me there too, as there was lots of information they, they had that I didn't know about. And did you, while you were playing there, where did you travel? Did you just travel within Ireland playing other local teams? Yeah, it was mostly travel. Ireland's not as big as Canada, obviously. No. So traveling from one side of Ireland to the other was <laughs> a big trip for us, but not, not as big as it would be across Canada. So, right. <laughs> yeah. So we did travel quite a bit. A lot of road trips with the family or just my friends from baseball. And yeah, it was fun. All right. So you spent about a year in Ireland and then you moved. Did you move to Alberta at that point to where you ended up growing up? Yeah, it was Ireland. I went to back to Slovakia a couple of times for um, a tournament, like a Slovak uh, or in Italy, actually, it was oh, in, cool. in, in, in Natuno. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Yep. So we went there a couple of times came back to Ireland and moved to Canada. Um, and that was straight to Alberta, to Edmonton. Uh, my dad had a prearranged sort of kind of there. So 
we moved there because of that. And then I went to a winter camp, my mm -hmm. first winter camp. And that's where I met my coach, where I was at AAA in Spruce Grove, now Parkland. So what was that like in terms of the the jump in the caliber of baseball? Because you went, it sounds like Slovakia to Ireland was a bit of a step up in just the kind of coaching and the competition. But I imagine from Ireland or coming from almost anywhere in Europe to the US or Canada would probably be an even bigger leap in terms of what you could learn, especially what the other kids were like who you were playing with or playing against. Yes, it was it was amazing. Well, like I said, it was my first camp was the the winter camp. And all the kids there were absolutely amazing. And I was very intimidated because I was not used to that sort of competition. So once that happened, I got really nervous and was kind of trying to feel out where I would be, whether it be a single A or double A, or I, I wasn't even dreaming about playing at triple A level at that point. But um, the coach, Kevin Inch, who's now my uh, advisor, mm -hmm. he kind of came up to me with his brother and just said, like, would you be interested in playing AAA baseball and for Spruce Grove? And I was like, it was shocked me. Triple A, <laughs> like that's that's the highest league. I was like, that that is crazy. But there was a lot of thinking that went in. I knew that I wouldn't get as much playing time in AAA than I would in double A, but I was willing to sacrifice that just because of all the uh teammates who had so much more experience who would push me to get better and the coaches and all that. So ultimately chose to go the triple A route, but it was, it was definitely a steep learning curve for sure. You feel like you were, I mean, if you could go back and scout yourself at that age, were you kind of, they must've seen something. They thought you could handle that kind of jumps. So they, was it physical? Did you throw particularly hard then? Sounds like you were kind of not very polished if I'm interpreting what you yeah. said, right? So what was it that they probably saw in you and said, no, 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 we want to put this kid in the top level. Yeah, honestly, I couldn't tell. <laughs> I still can't tell you what people see in me. I just, I'm grateful that they do. I'm just working as hard as I can. But I, I didn't know. I think the, I think Kevin, the the coach said that he liked my arm action, that it was smooth, and that was basically what kind of got me there. But mm -hmm. I definitely wasn't the hardest thrower, or I was, I was buck forty maybe. Oh gosh. I was, yes, <laughs> definitely was not physical either. So it was. It was tough, but I, I got there. Yep. And so one of the things friends of mine who've scouted in Europe, I'm thinking one guy in particular said one of the problems he sees, and he's an advocate of European baseball, he says one of the problems is that there aren't many kids who throw real breaking pitches. So hitters who come out of there have never seen one or probably never seen one. Mm. Um, you know, unless it's a Max Kepler who came here a lot as a kid too. So he had some experience just playing a little bit in the U.S., and the pitchers aren't really taught to throw much of them because obviously you can get away with just throwing more. If you could throw hard, you can have some success over there. So at what point do you think that's true? And then at what point did you start to incorporate more breaking stuff into your repertoire which to, to make you more of a, a well-rounded pitcher? Yeah, I mean, sure. You you would probably know more about this than I would. I was very young when I was there. So I, I'm not sure when people start throwing breaking balls or if they did, I was definitely way too young to even think about or even know about a breaking ball. Mm -hmm. All my pitches were breaking balls. They were just <laughs> lobbed in there. So, yep. Yeah. But, um, I first started throwing one when I came to Canada, there was, I was really young at that point. So anytime I try to throw one, it was mostly just hold off for a little while before you can, it was in Ireland and Slovakia, just hold off. And when I got to Canada, I first started throwing one in 2014. 
Okay. So I was, I was around 13 years old mm-hmm. and I was just playing around with it and bullpens, just getting the feel for it. Yeah. And yeah. Sorry if I'm getting a little nerdy here, but I'm always interested in how people learn different pitches and how they grip them too. So did you start, were you throwing a change up beforehand? Did you, t- did somebody teach you? There's obviously a couple of different ways to do it depending on what grip is most comfortable for you. Yeah. I mean, it's still something helping to this day. Mm-hmm. So I, it's always a kind of a developmental process for me uh, as it is for many others, but um, I can't exactly remember how I started throwing the change up. I know I was kind of playing in the men's league for a little bit in Ireland mm-hmm. and uh, they threw a lot of change ups and stuff. So they just show me kind of the ins and outs of what you need to do and pronation and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. that's where it kind of got started, but I've, uh, accumulate a lot of the knowledge that I have about the grips and all that stuff through videos where it was mostly just looking at or, or p- images. I look up images of David Price change up and I go to images on Google and look that up, how he's holding it, what he's doing. So kind of, kind of that way. Oh, very nice. Well, since you've gotten to the Mariners too, obviously we had the pandemic, which sort of affected everything. But I know that yeah. they've, they're have they one of the teams they've been trying to work with a lot of guys remotely too on improving not just pitch grips, but like pitch characteristics, trying to improve spin or spin efficiency. Or uh, do you, Have you had a chance to work with them on any of that stuff? You've seen any alterations to your stuff? Yes. I was very grateful to be in an organization like the Mariners. They're very forward thinking. They have lots of cameras, lots of slow motion, everything you basically need to get better. Um, the coaches are amazing. They've taught me so much. I, when I got to the Mariners, I thought that I was basically pretty advanced in the knowledge that I had about, (laughs) about pitching, but they very quickly showed me otherwise. Um, but yeah, there, it was great. It was lots of, uh, rap Soto kind of analytics. My stuff has gotten tremendously better because of the cues or the facts that or learning how to ball moves based on how it spins and the spin direction, all that stuff. And I'm still learning a lot about that, but I think my stuff has definitely gotten tremendously better since coming to the Mariners. Do you maintain contacts either in Ireland baseball, Irish baseball, Slovakian baseball? I assume, I don't know, Slovakia has a, a WBC contender team, but if they did, like, would you, how do you think of yourself? Do you, would you, consider yourself hey i'll go play for the slovakian team if they're at some point if they have one in international competition yeah i mean it's a very tough question because right now i'm kind of in the midst of uh i myself don't know if i am a canadian or (laughs) not a canadian yet officially but if i consider myself a canadian or slovakian i obviously am very still the roots are still very important to me and um mostly my dad does keep in touch with um back in Slovakia through me kind of he just lets me know who people are reaching out Mm. and I answer kind of through him like that so it's cool I would definitely consider going um there's been a couple of couple of instances where I might have been able to go to play for a Slovakian team for in a tournament but it was during the the minor league season in Arizona yeah so it would have been tough to leave that just because I've just gotten there as my first year, basically. And I, I didn't want to set that kind of tone. So I wanted to stay true to where I am right now. But definitely in the future, I would consider that for sure. Gotcha. What would you, if you've given this any thought, what would you like to see Major League Baseball do 
to make baseball a little more popular in Europe. We're never going to catch soccer. I mean, I feel like that's you know that's an uphill battle. And I, I mentioned to you before we started talking, I have family in Italy who they know baseball exists, but they're in a part yeah. of Italy where it's just it's soccer. It's soccer all the time, and they said baseball is that cute little American sport, basically. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So what would you like to see baseball do? What do you, if they could? What could they do to make the sport a little more popular in countries that have the the seeds like Slovakia or, or Ireland or other places, but not much of a baseball culture yet? Yeah, you know the the first thing that kind of stands out to me is just putting it on the TV. Um, I don't ever. I've never seen a baseball game until I walked by a pub in Ireland and the game was on. I was all amazed. It was the Blue Jays playing, I think, actually with the Orioles or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I saw that. I was like, that is crazy. I've never seen a game before. Mm-hmm. So I think the main part is just introducing people to the sport. I mean, it. Yeah, just playing it on TV. Um, it's like soccer and, and hockey because people don't know about it. I think that's the main reason people don't play it because nobody knows how to play it or what it is. Yeah, I think one of the things I've noticed also is that, you know, we send, we, I say we, Major League Baseball often sends players on tours to particularly to Japan. Um, we do, we've hosted games in Japan, Korea, Taiwan, Mexico, etc. Other than that one two-game series in London, which didn't go great. And, you know, there was, I think one of those games was like 30 to 18 or something. The final score, like, we got to play over there. That was what I, you know, maybe it's more expensive. Maybe it's not easy. And I know there's there's some issue with finding stadiums that are large enough to do this. But to me, if they sent anybody over there, it doesn't have to be the Yankees and the Red Sox. I feel like. Maybe this is the American in me speaking, but I feel like it would be newsworthy enough and we'd get on television and uh, to your point, at least kids would see it and maybe get curious about it. Yeah, of course. And I mean, coming to the games, even I think that's a huge part of baseball, like going to the stadium and it's Mm -hmm. more of like a, it's, it's such a different atmosphere when you're there at a stadium watching professional players play. So yeah, that, I think that'd be, that'd be amazing. I think. If that is somewhere in the future, that would definitely, yeah. hopefully. Yes. Hang, but yeah. <laughs> in a post-pandemic world, at least. Of course. Yep. Yeah. I would love to see. Oh, I'm really hopeful that we can get some kind of, um, the baseball can resume the international games. They were talking about doing London games in 2020, but obviously that that didn't happen. But anything that gets us over there and also on their time zone, if they're playing games you know, I, I guess if they're playing games at night here, it would be one o'clock in the morning or something in Bratislava. Yeah. And that probably also doesn't help our cause. Yeah, no, that is tough. Even come, reaching out to the family back home mm-hmm. with the time change is difficult because when I'm awake, they're asleep. When I'm asleep, they're yeah. awake, you know, so. Right. Yeah. Well, my guest today has been Adam Mako. He's a left-handed pitching prospect in the Mariners system. And as far as I know, the only Slovakian prospect pitching right now in the minor. So Adam, uh, thank you so much for joining me. Really appreciate your thoughts. Jakujem. <laughs> Jakujem. Jakujem. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So that's all for this week's show. I do want to throw out a couple of sort of administrative or scheduling notes. Also to mention, I appeared on the Fangraphs audio podcast last week with my old friend, former colleague at ESPN, Eric Longenhagen, where we talked a little bit about our top 100s and the process of creating top 100s, especially in this very odd off season. So I encourage you to go listen to that as well. 
Now, as I said, my column of the guys who just missed the top 100 just ran today. That's February 1st. There's going to be a little bit of a break in new prospect content uh, because there's this football game coming up. I don't remember what it's called or anything, but I guess it's important. And then on looks like on February 10th, that could move one day in either direction. But for right now, we're looking at February 10th for my ranking of all 30 farm systems, one through 30, best to best to worst, followed by my team-by-team reports, which will rank at least 20 prospects in each farm system. Some it's only 20, and I, I will admit, in some of those systems, it is a bit of a grind to get to 20 prospects. And then you have systems like Tampa Bay's, where as of right now, I think I have 32 guys I'm trying to write up, and I may end up culling that just for brevity's sake, but some systems are deeper than others. Those will run five at a time, one division each day. It looks like starting on February 11th. I don't know exactly how we'll break for the weekend, but at some point over, say, the next seven days, you should see all 30 team reports running five each day. I'm sure many people won't hear this. They may still ask questions on social media when your team reports coming. That's fine. But for those of you who do listen, and I appreciate you very much, that is the current schedule for the rest of the prospect content to run. And it's not going to run too much sooner because, as it turns out, I'm still working on it. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe.